I tell these stories so often, I'm not always sure what stories I've told here, even week to week. I did a men's retreat this weekend. Somebody asked me, how many speaking engagements do you have a year? If you're counting number of speeches given, not here, uh, it's in the 50s as a rule. Uh, if you're counting trips, it's, on, it's about 40. So I will go sometimes and speak three or four times during the week about a Jesus story, then come back and I'm thinking, all right, I was just here a week ago, but did I tell that story then? Some people have said, well, you can go listen to the podcast. No, I can't. I've never been able to listen to my own voice, ever. Uh, even I just, I was in a shop once, a store, um, a store, a store. Okay, uh, and, and they were playing a Christian radio station, and an interview with me came on. I actually had to leave. I just put my stuff down and walked out. Can't, can't stand my own voice. I always wanted to have one of those deep FM voices, you know, or a Sean Connery type thing, not a Mickey Mouse drug through Scotland and given helium voice. That's it. There's a picture for you. Did you enjoy that? I look like Mickey Mouse. Is that what you... Oh, Sean Connery. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Hmm, I resembled that remark there for a while. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now remember, he has healed the, um, the, the demonically possessed man, and one of my favorite passages there is when the man comes back fully clothed in his own mind, ready to follow Jesus. Jesus is not interested in another follower. He's interested in that man's family, and he says, no, go home to your family. And I, and I love that about Jesus. It was never about Jesus. It was never more stuff for him. It was always, let's take care of these folk. So he's crossed again by boat to the other side of the lake. He keeps trying to get some time alone. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. <coughs> Excuse me. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, I have a daughter and a son. My daughter is Kara Graves now, married to Josh Graves, the minister at Otter Creek. She is 30-something, low 30s. I'm just not going to do the math right now. Uh, and she's still my little girl. She'll always be my little girl. Now, she's married to Josh, and Josh is a better man than I in about every way that you can measure that sort of thing. Uh, and so I'm not, it's, it's not like I've got to take care of her and like, but when I see her, it's just my heart, when I first saw her, when they first handed her to me, my heart broke. And it does all the time. For some reason, every time I saw my boy from day one, I laughed. It's like, uh, watch out world, you're in big trouble. Once this guy becomes mobile, ooh, you know. I have a, my son has been in the emergency room a lot uh, because he is not just a boy. He's, well, he's a man now. He was all boy. I don't know what age he was. It couldn't have been much older than a year that he launched himself down the stairs in the, in the laundry hamper. See what it was like. <laughs> when he was little, he would watch Crocodile Hunter and say, I, that's what I want to be. And I said, son, you, you are the only person I know that can make the Crocodile Hunter say, let's, let's, slow, let's slow this down a bit. 
But my daughter never really got sick. She was never really taken emergency room. Um, it, I don't have the experience, and I never want it, of being in a chair out in the hallway wondering if my daughter's going to make it. And so when I hear this daughter was sick, I immediately go, ah. Oh. Uh, it, it, and in fact, not only sick, she's near to death. But there's something else in the story. There's a whole crowd of people. If Jesus wants to reach the world, he needs to reach a crowd of people, right? But one man says, my daughter, and Jesus goes. Jesus liked to be alone. He went. Jesus needed to preach to a crowd. He went. Because your broken heart trumped his schedule and his desire. Have you ever noticed that? He didn't say, and he said, I'm very busy. Call one of my apostles. We'll see what we can work out next week. He just stopped. One of the reasons why churches don't flourish is because they're so ritual, they don't know how to stop and go take care of something. There have been times where uh, I've been in churches where people got sick to the point where they had to call the squad, but nothing changed in the order of worship. Everybody was supposed to be looking forward. And, you know, here comes in a gurney they're being strapped on because we have to do everything exactly right for God. Really? It might have been better for the whole church to stop, gather around this person, pray as you call the squad. And then as they're being taken out, everybody go out and singing and praying. But we're, we're afraid of that. Jesus is not afraid of it. Let's just stop. Let's go. What do you need? I love that about him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. They're bumping around. Now, why would they press around him? Several reasons. Crowds do that. Um, you might say, but he's an important person. He didn't have a bodyguard. He didn't have a rope around him like a presidential candidate did uh, to keep the press away. He's getting bumped. He's getting mobbed. Plus, people want to see. And so they're pushing to see, and that pushes, pushes, pushes. He's getting bumped around a bit. And here comes a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, the um, NIV just says subject to bleeding. In the oldest manuscripts we have, it's, it, it's referred to as an issue of blood. It's uterine bleeding. That makes her unclean in the Old Testament rules. She's not allowed to be in a crowd, not allowed to be around family, her own kids, not allowed to cook food for them or eat food with them. Um, technically, she could eat food over there with a different set of utensils. They could see each other. Um, she's not allowed to, to interact with anybody except the unclean. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Can anybody identify with this? You know, and this is not anti-doctor. I'm a science guy. I love doctors. But you go in sometimes and they'll give you this one, then they'll give you that one. Then they'll give you that one. Then when they run out, they'll say, you know, it's all emotional. It's in your head. Really? She'd suffered. She'd spent everything, but she kept getting worse. When she heard about Jesus, 
She came up behind him in the crowd. She's not supposed to be there. Touched his cloak. Now, people have asked before, how'd she get so close if she's not supposed to be there? Remember women back then to protect themselves when they were alone, wrapped up. The burqa and the hijab that you see with the Muslims today that they enforce was not something enforced among the Jews. It was, uh, or most ancient peoples, it was there so that women could move without being leered at or stared at. And a, a modicum of safety, perhaps. And so she covers herself. She gets, she's thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I want to stop for a qu- and just ask you a question. Why would she believe that? Where in Scripture does it indicate that if you touch Jesus' clothes, he'll be healed? You're right. It doesn't. Think about that for a minute. She's going to be healed anyway. You know the story, right? She wanted to be healed. She had faith in Jesus. It was not something Jesus had promised to do, but he did it anyway because of compassion, love, and her faith. What does that tell you about Jesus? Uh, Is that the Jesus you were taught growing up? I seriously, whenever they would, you know, VBS, they'd always say, what does the word gospel mean? And we'd all say, good news. But I was always thinking, it doesn't seem good because you can go to hell pretty fast in our church. But it is good news. He wasn't going to trip her up and say, what version of the Bible are you reading, girl? He didn't say, you touched me. You're unclean. You touched me. I'm a rabbi. I'm going to heal a little girl And now I can't do that because I'm unclean. I've got to change my clothes. I've got to wash myself. Tomorrow, I've got to present myself to the priest to make sure that I'm clean. And then by that time, the girl could be dead and he could have gotten furious. He could have, have you ever thought of this? Because now he's unclean. He's not allowed to go anywhere. And he has to go to the house of a ruler of the synagogue so that guy knows the rules. So he's busted in all ways. We don't ever think of this. We, always, we just tell the story and run through. Veggie tail, put a moral on it and keep going. No. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. People have tried to figure out what this is. It could have been cyst. It could have been endometriosis. Uh, who knows? But you're missing the point if you're trying to figure out the disease she had. Whatever it was, she could actually feel that whatever was binding and tearing in her was no longer doing so. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So let's stop. So Jesus didn't have a conscious thought, thinking, if anybody with uterine bleeding touches me, they will be healed. So pop quiz. Jesus said he did his power, had his power, and did his miracles by the power of who? I'm hearing little murmurs, but I'm not hearing a word. God, yes. Father, no. The words come from the Father. The power came from the Spirit. How ready is the Holy Spirit to react to your need? So ready, he doesn't have to have Jesus say, do it. 
It doesn't have to be promised. It doesn't have to be planned. There's a woman, she's in need, move. And Jesus is going, wait a minute, Spirit just did something. And he turns around to see what it is. Have you ever noticed that before? This is so cool. Because often we paint this picture of God being this really harsh, mean guy, and Jesus keep going, getting in between. It's going, Dad, Dad, calm down. And the Spirit somewhere hovering off there, maybe you'll get him, maybe you won't. No, they are so invested in taking care of us. Now, right now, I want to I talk to those of you that are suffering, mentally, physically, financially, whatever. And you're thinking, well, he hasn't leapt to my defense. Fair enough. I will not ignore that you are suffering. And I will not even ignore that you've been praying, 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 and it's, it's been like a, a dead wall. And I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to say, but if you were more righteous or had more. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. What I am going to ask you to do is to legitimately take an audit of your prayers in your life. How many did Jesus answer? And you're going to find the vast majority. He did. Lord, help my wife have a safe trip. She did. We forget it. Lord, help me get over. The doctor doesn't know whether I have, um, uh, I had a respiratory infection. He put me on antibiotics that kill a horse. Um, I know because the horses are going, dude, don't take it. Anyway, I, I, I had that. And, uh, or if it's allergies because I'm allergic to Bradford Pears in Tennessee and a couple of you. Uh, so I, my, I was hoping it was rabies because I had a list of people I wanted to bite before I died. But he said, no, it wasn't rabies. And I can say, Lord, I want to be over this. When you're over it, you forget. Lord, let us have a good day, and you forget. The vast majority of our prayers are answered. I'm talking huge percentage. We only remember the ones that aren't. A thought. All right, moving on. He turned around in a crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? <laughs> That's a weird question. He's being bumped. Remember, pressed again, bump, bump. Against, kind of like being in a mosh pet. He's getting bumped around. Yeah. Aha. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Let me, let me repeat what he said for the crowd and also for those that listen online. When Jesus said, who touched me? And he was surprised by the power going out. Does that have any ramifications about the omniscience of Jesus? Yes. When he was on a planet, he was not omniscient. There are many times he's surprised. Many times you ask a question. He seems to know more and more as we go through. For example, he even talks about the end of time saying, that day and time knows, you know, I don't know, he says. Just the Father knows. Later, when he's resurrected from the dead, he indicates that he does know. So there is a progression. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Jesus did not slowly become God. He was God. But I want to ask you a question. Do you really want a two-year-old to know they're God? You want to dole this out, don't you? <laughs> You're going to eat your vegetables. Am I, mother? <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that. You know, trying to give him a bath, he keeps popping up on top of the water. You don't want that. 
Yes, I give this thought. Jesus could not have been one of us if he had known all the answers from day one. He had to suffer too. I've had people, I heard a preacher once, only once, but I've had people talk to me elsewhere, say when Jesus was on the cross, he suffered but not like us because you know, his faith and such, you know, the pain wasn't the same. And even one guy said, a crucified victim, a victim of crucifixion, uh, screams could be heard over a mile away, but not Jesus, he didn't make a noise. What? Then it wasn't a sacrifice unless he had to go through what we go through. The whole collision of pain and humiliation and fear and dislocation. So, you see the people crowding against you, this apostle's answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. They're going, duh. They're, they're actually, they're, they're going, that's a stupid question. The apostle said that to God. God didn't kill him. Did that make you feel good? Have you ever said something stupid to God? <clears throat> I did, many times. I have a whole notebook full. And I'm not done. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. There's a reason he's looking. I think the Spirit is hitting him saying, you'd better find them. There's something yet to be done. So the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Do you know why she's in fear? You understand? She has made a rabbi dirty who was going to heal a girl. The girl could now die because the rabbi's got to stop. She doesn't know that Jesus doesn't always color in the lines or play by the rules. He said to her, daughter, what is Jesus on his way to do? Heal a daughter. Oh my, there's something about daughters. There just is. Saying to Charlie, you're the bridegroom every day in those lives. You're the protector every day for those lives. I told Cammy more than once, as our daughter was growing up, I said, she's so pretty. And that makes life more dangerous. You know what? Um, you, you, that protective thing. How many people did Jesus call daughter in Scripture? One. Her. Now, do you think that might be significant? Oh, yeah. Most of the time he says woman, which isn't like today if we go, woman, <laughs> that's not a pleasant, uh, or even lady. No, woman back then was a sign of respect, ma'am. He usually would say woman, or even dear woman. He went, he upped it here. In fact, this whole crowd of people who now see who's right in the middle of them, they're going to be scrambling away. We're not going to be unclean. We're too righteous to touch this woman or have anything to do with this woman. Jesus adopts her right in front of all of them. Instead of saying, you shouldn't have done that, girl. That's against the rules. We still love you. I'm not going to you know, blast you with a lightning bolt or anything, but that wasn't good. No, he didn't do that. He adopted her. His first instinct is open arms. That should be our first instinct too. 
even though she was still in the world, unclean. You might say, no, no, she was healed. The rules are you're unclean until you've presented yourself to the priest and gone through clearance. So she healed or not is unclean. Everybody understand that? So don't try to wave this off. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Go in peace is an expression we don't really get. Because we'll say that. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you. We don't understand what that means when we say the peace of the Lord be with you. It's a bridegroom statement. When he goes, you go in peace, it is a way of announcing to everybody in the area, she's mine. Nobody messes with her. She goes in peace. Do you understand it now? We don't, we don't say those kind of words most of the time. And whenever we say, the peace of God be with you, we're thinking, have a nice day. No, we're saying, God set his tent in your life to protect you. Peace goes with her. She's mine. I have a strange hobby for a minister. Several strange hobbies, actually. And some just strangeness. But anyway, I've, I've been a competitive pistol shooter uh, and some rifle, but mainly pistol uh, combat stuff and the like for, I don't know, 30 years. I uh, haven't done a lot of it recently, but, you, you know, I've won some stuff. And um, I, yet I don't even hunt. I, I, I'm not opposed to hunting. It's just not a part of my culture. Nobody taught me how, you know. Uh, I, I did shoot a turkey once, but Kroger won't let me back in that store. Uh, the, 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 the whole point is I, I'm, I'm a very, very good shot, but I have no interest in hurting people. But if you were to come after my daughter, my personality would change like this. Everybody understand that? You know, now if you're pacifist, I understand that that might be a bit offensive, and I don't mean to offend you at all. I wish I was strong enough to be a pacifist. I'm not. My personality would change. I would try to do you harm, grievous harm, to stop you harming my daughter. That's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing a line saying, this one's mine. She goes in peace. You're free now. Isn't that cool? Had you noticed all the depth in this thing before? While he was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the <coughs> sorry, synagogue leader. By the way, turning away from the microphone and coughing is now impossible when they strap it to you. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? They could, uh, they could have said that in a different way, don't you think? Do you think it was because they were appalled that Jesus allowed himself to be touched by an unclean woman and now he's unclean, so let's just leave him out of this. She's dead, let's just say you tried. I, I'd actually like to sit in a room with you guys quietly for a half hour and just think about this one. Because that's the way I do it when I read the Gospels. I don't do a chapter a day. I don't do two verses a day. I hit a thought, and then I pull back and I live with the thought, sometimes for two or three weeks before I'm ready to process and move to the next one. Because I don't feel like I need to read the Bible in a year. Because I know if I do, I'm going to need to read it again because I forgot stuff. So I'm just going to process as I go. 
I'm going to try to figure this out as I go. And people have often asked me, where do you get all these insights? You only get the insights if you take time to go quietly and think of the insight for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it takes. There's so many, I have aha moments. I go, wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, now wait a minute. Uh, I've learned that every time I've said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to write that down, I'll remember it. No. Anyway, your daughter's dead. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. If I could novelize this a bit by meaning reading in a scene to this. Because I used to be a shrink, um, I got better, uh, but I, I've worked with a lot of people that were dying, experienced death right there. I see them coming up saying, your daughter's dead, and I see his knees going. I see him hitting the ground. And I see Jesus right up there grabbing him, leaning in saying, don't be afraid. You came to me believing. Keep believing. What's, what's the point? What's the point? Jesus, I see him holding him up. And then he turns to the crowd. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I want to ask you a question. How do you stop a crowd from following you? Did Jesus turn to them shining, holding a little baby lamb, saying, I just need to be alone with my friends now? Or do you think he drew a line saying, you don't get to come? That was out of line, what you said to him. The way you treated this entire situation was wrong. You're out of it. Get away. People, that's the only way that's going to work. Did you have a... Well, they were following. They, he became unclean during the following. And so they would have been backing up a little bit about that time. But others would have been confused, not knowing. In fact, two or three back wouldn't even know about he, she touched him. It's a good question. But he's just saying, no, I've had it. You're away. You're done now. Here's something you need to know. As a Christian, you are required to be good. It doesn't mean you always have to be nice. And there are times you have to step between a hurt person and the world and say, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. This is our 15th cruise. By the way, we're thinking about setting up a cruise for 4th Avenue. Yeah, we took 100 with us once, 90-something with us once to the Caribbean. And I got a couple votes today, Cami, for Alaska. So it looks like you might win this one. She wants to go to Alaska, cold. Anyway, um, I think it's because she didn't want to see you guys in swimsuits. Um, <laughs> she has a point. She has a point, a, a valid point. Anyway, uh, this is our 15th. And every time that you do a cruise, they make you, by law, go down and stand in front of the lifeboats and do the drill. And there are always a bunch of, I say this in Christian love, idiots who are going to litter the ocean with their bodies, who do not pay attention. You know, you're not supposed to be on your phones. You're not supposed to do this or take pictures. And they're doing it all, and they're laughing and they're talking through it all. And this one guy beside me, the big guy, rude to everybody around him, 
turned and looked at me because I was just standing there looking at him. And he said, you know, of course, if there's a real emergency, I'm just going to trample you to get to the boat. I looked at him. I just smiled and said, I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> now, the Christian thing would have been to say, oh, you may go. No, you know something? I might be a more valuable member of society than him. And if one of us has to deal themselves out of the gene pool, I vote him. <laughs> you have to be good, but you don't have to be nice. Jesus was good. He wasn't always nice. He drew some lines. He said, uh-uh, you don't get to do this. There's some other lines I want to use, but I really can't right now. Because um, <clears throat> some people listen online. And I want to talk about them. Um, by the way, if you're paranoid listening to this, yes, I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> when he came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. By the way, that is tradition. And if a girl dies, wouldn't you do that? So he's not, this is not a bad thing. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him and he put him out. Again, how do you think he got them out? I don't think his apostles that were zealots kind of revealed their swords. <laughs> you know, I don't think that. I think it was the force of Jesus saying, you're out of here. Go. You can't do it. We had um, a funeral here uh, over a year ago for a member of the community who died in a traffic accident. They weren't a member of our church, but his community had no place to hold the funeral, and our church opens up for that. I don't know if you know that or not. And we serve, and it was packed because a teenager died tragically. If you remember, they flipped the car off Carter's Creek and drowned. Well, some police were investigating the crash, and they came to the funeral. I saw them, and, and you know me. I work with police. I love police. Big fa police fan. Went back, I found them in the back, and I said, uh, why are you here? And they said, we've been sent to ask some questions of the family. And I looked around and I went back and I said, not now. Not today. You're leaving today. And they said, our boss sent us. And I said, hand me the phone. Well, they got on the phone and they decided, and then one of them actually came back and said, thank you. We really didn't want to be here. But no, I'm not going to be nice at that. I'm going to protect the family. And that's, I'm a little guy. It's easy to shoot and kill me and stomp me and the like. And at my age, you might be doing me a favor. But draw some lines. Jesus drew some lines. They came to the, anyway, he put them all out, took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, so just a few, went into where the child was. All right, now I'll stop again. There's an old song we don't sing, and we've lost some beautiful old songs. Let's just be faithful. I love the new stuff. I love the new stuff. But we've lost some old, beautiful poetry. And one of the songs, Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pained? And the, the response is what? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. How do you know? Right here. 
because of the language he used. Now, I, um, we, we were just in a bunch of Spanish-speaking islands, and I love the Spanish language. I think it's incredibly beautiful. Problem is, they speak at 100 words a minute, and I understand six words a minute. So I, I was reduced to phrases I had learned in school. You know, like, la piscina es tan profunda. You know, the swimming pool is very deep. You know, that's not the discussion we're having, but I know how to say that. You know, and, and, and it, was, it was a little frustrating, but I loved it. If you're a Spanish-speaking person, for example, if you were raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, but you've been living in this country for most of your adult life, if you stub your toe or you have an emotional loss, you'll probably go right back to Spanish. Why? It's the language of your childhood. And that's where you go for the depth of you. For me, it's really English, but also Gaelic. I can go into, and there are times that I'll say something in Gaelic. Um, Gaelic isn't English with an accent. It's a whole different language. The point is this. When Jesus looked at her, he didn't say, little girl, arise. He said, Talita, come. He went back to the language he played in as a little boy, Aramaic. This broke his heart to see the dead little girl. Does Jesus care? Proof. And he didn't, look at, look at the lack of ceremony. He didn't go, all right, now this is going to be quite amazing. I'm going to want some of you to write this down, you four. Now, nothing up my sleeve. We've all confirmed she's dead, right? None of this. Immediately, little girl, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up. By the way, that would have cleared the house if it hadn't been cleared before, right? I would, I would have found a way out. Uh, I, they didn't need to have a window. I'd make one. And began to walk around. She was around 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. That's one of those phrases God didn't have to use ink for. Uh, I don't know why he tells me that. I know. I know they were astonished. It wasn't like, oh, another one. If I had a nickel for every 12-year-old dead girl, I've seen right. No, they were astonished. But look at this. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Couple questions. But before we get to the questions, think about this. He heals her, she's alive, and Jesus doesn't take any credit or whatever. He just says, she's probably hungry and walks away. This is what convinced me to follow Jesus. Not any of the doctrines, not any of the songs, not any of the evidences for God or evidences that Scripture is accurate. Frankly, most of that fell fairly flat on me. It was what Jesus was like. That still captures me. In April, there's a big thing in Memphis where they do a, a two-hour public forum, and it's made into TED Talks and such, if you know what those are. And they've asked me to come in April 25th, I think. Uh, a friend of mine, Josh Ross, some of you may know him, uh, is running these forums. And the forum that night on is on Christians and doubt. And he asked, would you be, would, would I be the speaker? And I said, yeah. 
because I'm a Christian that doubts. I don't think that shocks anybody here, right? Because I've talked to you about this. I wrestle with God. In my darkest doubts about God, life, and everything else, I know this guy, and he's my anchor. I still believe in him. I'm going to do this guy stuff. That's, that's not going to hurt me. But about, what about the strict orders not to let anyone know about this? One, Jesus was not interested in publicity. Two, you might be wondering, how could they not know the dead girls in school? There's no other way to say this except for the terrifying reality. In most of the world, it's hard to know when somebody's dead. This last week in India, a man was arrested because as they burned his wife, there was evidence that she was still alive. And so they're suing the doctor and questioning the husband. Most of the world does not have medical care to run an EEG on you and everything else. And so you can be thought to be dead and you're not dead. My dad, as a boy, could remember funerals where there was somebody assigned to sit up by the corpse to wipe the sweat off the face. Corpses don't, dead people don't sweat. But they were buried. Remember Edgar Allan Poe and the like, the great fears of this. They would put bells and run a wire down and, and so in case somebody revived in the casket, they could ring the bell. Um, it would not have been unknown to them to think somebody was dead and they weren't dead. And so it's not as strange as it sounds to us. I hope that doesn't keep you awake tonight. But well, okay. Well, attach a bell so that he doesn't think you're dead. Oh, she's dead. No, sleeping. You know, that's, um, it's kind of like when I signed a DNR and, you know, do not revive and do not, um, you know, a, a living will type thing. And then I got a cold and I thought, well, I need to go get some medicine. And my wife's going, no, no, let's let nature take its course. No, I'm kidding, kidding. She, she wouldn't say that. She, uh, she's not done with me yet. We're up against our time, and so we're going to have to stop. But I hope you're enjoying the stories, and I hope that you're getting more out of them than maybe you thought. But spend time with these things. Let them grow in you. They do change you.